So welcome to the Shake Podcast powered by Trio Solution. We have entered season five with a whole new lineup and new guests while still taking a deep dive into all things cannabis, the industry and the representatives pushing it forward. The Shake Podcast explores new themes every episode within the dynamic cannabis space in North America in an effort to engage a wide audience and provide full coverage across issues and opportunities of interest to our listeners. And we broadcast on a weekly basis anywhere you stream your podcast on any platform that you love or directly from Apple. It is whatever's easiest for you. What seems to be incredibly difficult and challenging in today's cannabis world is branding and understanding the consumers and how to stand out in a crowd, which can be next to impossible. And that's why we have you covered. Check out our sponsor, Detonate Cannabis Agency. If you're looking for print, collateral, or maybe you're a retailer looking for a fresh look or need, contact the helpful reps at www.detonatecannabis.com and they will take care of all your needs. Thank you for joining us on the Shake Podcast, powered by Trio Solution. Today, we have the absolute pleasure and opportunity to chat with Narbe Alexandrian, the President and Chief Executive Officer at Canopy Rivers. Narbe has helped fundraise for several funds, as well as sourced and led multiple debt equity financing and acted as a board observer for several portfolio companies. Narbe has joined The Shake, powered by Trio Solution, to discuss Canopy Rivers, the industry, as well as take a deep dive into all things cannabis. Thanks for joining us on The Shake today, Narbe. How are you doing and where are you joining us from? Great to be here. I'm doing great. Uh, just coming off of a string of a ton of meetings today, and I'm calling from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Now, before we take a deep dive into all things Canopy Rivers, we really want to get to know you a little bit better. So if you can give us a sense of your background and past industry experience prior to pivoting into the cannabis industry. Absolutely. So I originally started my career in Deloitte. Uh, Didn't do accounting per se, but I did get my CPA. I started off in the consulting group uh, doing strategy and operations and moved into the uh, M&A group uh, doing commercial diligence as well as some finance work for a number of private equity organizations. Really liked seeing different business models through professional services, but thought that um, really had a passion for technology at the time. And so I, I left and I joined a startup called FirmX, virtual data room company based in Toronto. I think Dropbox, but for large corporates. And, uh, and did that for uh, a year and a half or two years, uh, and then started moving around trying to get deeper and deeper into the tech sector. So uh, I did some work with Intellis within their Internet of Things practice, working on uh, doing white label agreements with, with companies, uh, buying companies, investing companies, moved on to Mars Innovation, uh, where um, the largest tech incubator in Canada run by the government, helping advising companies out there. And then kind of took a step back and stopped everything on the side and moved into Omer's Ventures, the largest VC fund in Canada, mm-hmm. where I was working for about four years there, uh, looking at technology deals. My background and my specialty was in Internet of Things, which is sensor-based technologies, mm-hmm. artificial intelligence, machine learning, and quantum computing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and at Omer's, we did we had a great run there, a um, number of successes. Uh, recently, one of the portfolio companies, Wave Financial, was sold to H&R Block for half a billion dollars. A few years ago, uh, Shopify, which was an early investment for us, went public at a billion dollars. Now it's worth, um, call it 150, 160 billion, depending on what day you look at it. So had some tremendous success in technology. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, I had a friend that was in the cannabis sector and he was walking me through what he was seeing. And it looked very similar to the tech sector, mm-hmm. where it was exponential growth, very fast-paced growth. Nobody knows the rules because the rules keep changing. And I don't mean 
Health Canada rules, but I mean the, the rules of what consumers want in developing business model. Mm-hmm. And uh, and there, there were no real institutional type investors within the space. There was a lot of family offices, high net worth individuals who were putting in angel capital. But once a company got to a certain stage of fundraising, maybe the first million or two million, there really wasn't an institutional investor that would invest in them beyond that. And what would happen is these companies would hit a wall. They couldn't grow because they needed capital to grow and they couldn't get capital because there were no large investors. So they would be forced to go public. And this looked exactly like how the tech sector really picked up from the, from the early 2000s as well, because the same situation was taking place. So I thought it'd be pretty keen to take what we've learned or what I've learned from the, the tech venture capital sector uh, and, and all the best practices we did at Omer's Ventures and what we got from some of our partners in Silicon Valley mm-hmm. and brought that into the canvas world and really built something that looked into the future, not necessarily into the, the present and looked at what are the technologies, brands, agricultural technologies that, that could really push the, the envelope forward and, and in terms of how we see the cannabis industry playing out. So I, I joined Canopy Rivers back in uh, mid-2018, um, quickly moved up the ranks uh, as, and became president and CEO, and here we are today. And and uh, really, really happy with, with what we've done at Canopy River. We, we've seen over 2,200 deals. We've met with over 4,000 entrepreneurs. We've invested in uh, just under 20 companies. So we've had a tremendous amount of success, and I'm really happy about uh, what we've done. So would you say that that discussion that you had with your friend way back when and you were kind of having a sense of what was to come, was that really your aha moment, that moment that really made you pivot into the cannabis industry? Yeah, it totally was. Uh, There were some things that that really didn't jive with me and and, um, over time that kind of made sense. But Mm -hmm. at the time I was looking at it and I said, this is exactly like the tech sector. You have companies that want to do everything and you have companies that want to do cultivation, they want to do extraction, they want to run CPG brands, they're doing pharmaceutical trials, veterinary trials, and then they also want to own the retail store and, and, and post sales of uh, looking at data and aggregating data. And to me, it looked a lot like the early days of the internet where you had companies that were trying to do everything. There were, If you were a company that was trying to sell pet products in the early 2000s, you'd have to create your own server farm, that's write your own code for HTML to build your own website, you have to develop your own payment processing and, and your payment rails. Uh, you'd have to uh, develop like anything in the back end marketing platforms and CRMs and ERPs. Everything had to be from scratch because nothing existed out there that you could just use. What we understood from those days and why companies didn't succeed, succeed was that capital was uh, spread it out too thinly and so was human capital as well. Mm-hmm. And there was just difficulty in being the best in everything that they did. So as time progressed, they moved away from vertical integration into horizontal integration. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, if you want to launch the, the same hypothetical pet product store, yeah. well, you have Shopify for e-commerce, you have PayPal for payment rails, you have uh, Amazon Web Services for your server farm, and et cetera, et cetera. You have turnkey solutions all around you, so you just focus directly on what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I saw the cannabis industry playing out, and we're finally seeing that starting in the early 2020s where companies are starting to spin off some of the the work that they were doing, some of the the operational units they had that aren't core. It's not the best thing that they're doing. It's not a core competency or a competitive advantage of them. And now we're finally seeing horizontal integration really play out. 
Yeah, and so if we look at today, you are the president and chief executive officer at Canopy Rivers. Would you mind giving us a sense at a high level what Canopy Rivers is today? Yes, so Canopy Rivers is a venture capital company focused on the cannabis space. We make minority investments into uh, cannabis companies all around the world. Uh, Our current portfolio is in Canada, the U.S., uh, New Zealand, uh, and Europe, Italy. Uh, And and we, we invest in disruptive next generation technologies, mm-hmm. sorry, next generation companies. Uh, and we, we, we look to uh, ride that wave towards a natural uh, exit, such as acquisition or uh, go public, mm-hmm. where we can get a return for our investors. And how does Canopy Growth fit into the whole process? What is their relationship with Canopy Rivers? Yeah, so this goes way back to the early days of Canopy Rivers. And back in uh, April of 2017, when Canopy Rivers was born, at the time, Canopy Growth was making a lot of acquisitions within the space. Some of the companies that they were speaking to weren't open to being acquired. Instead, they wanted to ride the wave of legalization. So they wanted to live through their own strategies and live through their own ideas uh, of, of, or ideology of how things were going to progress and not necessarily didn't want to sell their company that early. Mm-hmm. So the thought there was at the time, why not take two shots at net where growth can go and make acquisitions within the space Cape Rivers can go and do minority investments within the space mm-hmm. and that um, we can capture more of the market through that process. Mm-hmm. Uh, fast forward to now, uh, Cape Growth is uh, still remains our, our largest investor. Um, and we, we have, uh, like for example, on our board, we have the CFO of Canopy Growth. We have the CFO of Constellation Brands, the big alcohol company in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've, we've done a, a good job of working with them and look, look to work with them more and more down the road. Um, our portfolio itself, the reason why we're spun off and separated is that it gives us the ability for our portfolio to work with whomever they want and not necessarily tied to a, a certain single strategic, but they can work with multiple strategics. So the, the idea of having it autonomous and independent from Canopy Growth was done on purpose. Okay. Now, every company has a unique mission. Would you mind talking about Canopy River's mission and why it's been important to invest in innovators across the cannabis value chain, really help them grow, and how you've ultimately helped them build value? Yeah. Um, well, when we look at the space right now, our idea is that there's not enough long-term capital that that's in play. So when we invest in companies, we're thinking about the future. How can we make this companies can benefit over a long period of time versus very short period of time but we're not we're not pushing companies to go public anytime soon we want them naturally to progress into some sort of an exit stage mm-hmm. so our mission here is to find disruptive technologies or disruptive companies that don't exist already they're doing something different that have different operators and different business models than what we see today uh, create a hypothesis around them or a thesis around them and then invest in them and, and kind of see them through on our end, how we help is through uh, what we call an impact team. Mm-hmm. And our impact team is made up of uh, several individuals who have expertise in certain areas, whether that be growing or extraction or plant science or technology. Mm-hmm. And we, we go in and help our portfolio companies through introducing them to different individuals within the, the, the value chain, uh, helping them bring inputs, helping them move outputs, connecting them to recruiters, consultants, uh, and like um, regulatory experts, et cetera. And, and we really try to uh, be that value add investor to companies instead of just, just putting money in and, and, and waiting for a check. 
Now, something that you just mentioned is having a strong team. And that really helps Canopy Rivers achieve the mission that you were just discussing. Would you mind talking a little bit more about your team and the experience that they bring to the table? Yeah, so we have a number of team members that come from all over the, the financial and operational world. Our, our CFO is comes from TD Securities. He was a, an M&A banker there. Our uh, general counsel uh, was, was one of the early lawyers within uh, Blake's that was focused on the, the cannabis space. Our chief operating officer, uh, formerly from McKinsey and Harvard M- uh, MBA grad, uh, was the chief operating officer of Canopy Growth prior to coming over. We have uh, a, a number of individuals on our team that have backgrounds professionally uh, and experience-wise, but likewise, they, they approach the sector with uh, just continuous amount of curiosity, mm-hmm. which is what we really look for for any team members. We're not looking for people who want to do a nine-to-five job and want to walk away, but we like, we like to work with individuals that are consistently curious about how this industry is going to progress and what's going to change. So. They, they go and read the rules. They come up with their own thesis. They test the thesis out. Uh, they, they go talk to companies. They have a huge Rolodex of individuals. That, that to us is very important because um, nobody really knows how this industry is going to play out. The growth rate is very fast. Mm-hmm. In Canada alone, we're seeing between 8 to 15% growth month over month. In the U.S., it's exponential as well, uh, particularly in certain states where, where they're coming online very quickly. Mm-hmm. So to us, nobody has the answer. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to learn from it. So at any time where we're looking to hire people or, or work with people within the organization, it's all it's, we really like that curiosity they bring to the table. So when we look at Canopy Rivers, something that separates you from other VC firms is your thesis. It was something that we alluded to and you talked a little bit about earlier, which is vertical integration. It is incredibly challenging unless you're one of the larger companies that has tons of capital at their disposal. Can you talk a little bit more about the Canopy Rivers thesis and your focus? Yeah, so I, and I think it's exactly that. Um, and uh, our our idea here is that there's companies out there that they might be doing everything at the same time, mm-hmm. but quite frankly, like they know what they're really good at. And maybe that's a technology on extraction, or maybe that's a uh, the, the data that they're collecting from uh, their POS systems. There, there's something out there that they're very good at doing. There's a bunch of other activities they do for a number of reasons. And it could be to save on margin, which is okay, but it could be that, that they just don't have anybody to work with in the in the, um, in, in the sector. So we have a deep network of companies and, and relationships that we've developed throughout uh, Canada and the U.S. and all over the world within the cannabis space. So what we do is when we, we like a company, or we want to help them specialize in what they do best. So the one to three things they do very well and then outsource everything else to other companies. Uh, so we help with the, with the upstream and we help with the downstream in terms of connecting them mm-hmm. so that they don't give up too many margin points. And um, when, when we bring these types of deals to our portfolio companies, they typically come with uh, some type of sort of a volume type discount where we can apply them to multiple portfolio companies at the same time. Mm-hmm. And if they want to take it, it's great. If they don't want to take it, that's okay too. And they don't have to take anything because we're minority investors at the end of the day. Now, in early 2019, Campy Rivers achieved an incredible feat, graduating to the TSX. What did this mean to you and your company, as well as the investors? Yeah, I think it was a great step for us to move on to the big board or the bigger TSX right from the ventures. Uh, and it just solidifies the our, our ability to, to garner interest from larger, more institutional type investors through the TSX. 
and, and we were one of the largest companies on the ventures exchange at the time. So it made total sense for us to, to move over there. Okay. Now you've also mentioned in past interviews that Canopy Rivers chooses to be a life cycle investor. Why was this trajectory taken? Yeah, I mean, there, there's there's companies all all over the place in, in terms of where they are in the life cycle. There's companies that are just brand new. They have a deck and they want to. They're looking for seed investment. There's companies out there that have been around for five, ten years in the medical side, now in the recreational side, mm-hmm. that um, have a long history as well. In our perspective, there's there's different across the value chain. There's different stages of companies that are needed. If we were looking at this from a couple of years ago, and you're telling me that you're creating a tech platform that would house data from POS systems and provide brand managers with uh, an understanding of how these things are going to progress, similar to one of our portfolio companies' headset, you'd probably be pretty early in the game, mm-hmm. and that that would be earlier on in the life cycle. But nowadays, if you tell me that you are a cultivation company, there's no, it, it, it doesn't really make sense to invest that early on. You want to invest in a more established company that's shown unique economics, that has gone through the experience curve of growing cannabis. In these situations, then uh, it makes sense to go a bit later on in the life cycle. And if you go early in the life cycle, you don't have to put that much money in, but there's more risk. If you go later on the life cycle, you put more money in for the same amount of ownership, uh, and there's less risk because a lot of that's been proven out. Okay, so Canopy Rivers, you know, prides itself in investing in innovators across the cannabis chain, committed to making the industry faster, stronger, better, and smarter by accelerating the success of the companies. Can you talk about some of these companies and the process you use to align with these companies? Yeah, so um, I'll I'll, I'll mention a few off the top of my head. There's a, um, I just got off the phone with High Beauty, which is our cosmetics play in the U.S., uh, based out of San Francisco. The founder of High Beauty was one of the founders of Juice Beauty, which is one of the, the larger uh, and fastest growing cosmetics companies in the world who helped launch Gwyneth Paltrow's Goop Beauty. These are $2 billion businesses that, that were developed. And uh, when we met with Melissa, who's the CEO and founder of the company, she had this idea that nobody was really tackling the cannabis space. And when I say cannabis, I mean hemp, I mean THC, I mean CBD, CBG, uh, CBN, and a number of the cannabinoids. And she, she approached it in a different way. And, and when we, we met with the company, we found her, we found her thesis and her idea of how she wanted to go forward with it. And then we went out and talked to every single cannabis cosmetics beauty company that you could find in the world at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And we met with every single one. We heard their pitches as well. And we noticed that through the pitches, we were seeing the high beauty's name come up and, and when they were presenting their customers, competitor slides. Mm-hmm. And uh, slowly we started to understand that this might be the right one that we're looking at. And what high beauty does that's different um, is their, their, their plan of attack. They've created a hemp seed oil line that's being sold in CVS, Anthropology, Sephora, um, Douglas in, in Germany, the Bay in Canada, Shoppers Drug Mart in Canada, a number of retailers, over thousands of thousands of doors, uh, hundreds of retailers out there. And uh, their idea is a, a bit of a Trojan horse. Let's get in the stores, mm-hmm. create a cannabis brand that doesn't have any cannabinoids in it, Let's, let's, let's partner up with these retailers as they, we handhold them through their first cannabis venture, even though, again, it's not an active cannabinoid. Mm-hmm. And then once we've gotten close to them and we understand what they like, what they dislike, then we can work with them to bring in a CBD or CBN or CBG or THC line, depending on where you are in the world, and, uh, and, and launch those. We really like that approach. We call it a Trojan horse approach of, of getting into these retailers first and then lighting up the actual cannabinoid 
products down the road and they've been very successful growing but i think they're, they're gearing up to grow 3x this year from what they did last year and when you're aligning with these companies to invest with them one thing that i noticed that you use as a criteria are you guys focus on five key indicators can you talk about these indicators and how they were chosen to really form the parameters with which you use an evaluation process yeah so i, I mean there's there's five or 10 or three, there's a, there's a different number of, of, of the parameters that we look at, but I could say that they bucket into three major categories at the end of the day. Okay. One is, what is the market size of, of the sector look like, of that, that piece of the value chain? So how big is it? How fast is it growing? How many customers are in it? Um, and, and you're typically looking for sectors that are at a billion dollars, it can grow into a billion dollar uh, on its own because you just don't want to create or you don't want to launch a company where there's a ceiling above you, which is the market itself. The second piece we look at is the traction of the company. How has it been faring uh, relative to what it said it was going to do, what its budget was going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and in there, we look at uh, um, what have they, what have they sold, what have they, where have they launched, what the UE economics look like, uh, what are customers saying? We read a lot of reviews. We have huge data sets that we we dive into from uh, headset and one of our portfolio companies and some of the other platforms that, that we partnered up with as well. And and we really dig into that. And the third piece, which I think is the most important, Jay, is um, we, we look at the entrepreneur and the operator and the team itself. Mm-hmm. And I've always said that there's no there's no eBay for uh, for ideas. If you or, you or I have an idea, let's say we have an idea for this killer cannabis brand, mm-hmm. um, we can't take this idea on a PowerPoint and go raise millions of dollars off of it. Less likely that that'll ever succeed. The difference between an idea and something that's worth money is execution. Mm-hmm. So you really have to trust that the operators that you're working with are, are executors. They, they can get it done. They can get the job done and they're willing to do it as well. So our focus is always on finding entrepreneurs that we believe in, that are curious, just like us, mm-hmm. that want to build something big and uh, just won't take no for an answer. And, and they have the grit and the grind to get there. And I think that's what really makes the difference between the companies that truly succeed and the ones that are mediocre in terms of success. So recently, Canopy Rivers made an investment in Danelio cannabis companies. Can you talk a little bit more about why you believe they are well positioned to help Canada catch up to the consumer gummy demand? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's there's a number of reasons. Uh, When we made the investment at the time, there were no real uh, cannabis uh, gummy companies that were out there that, that were doing large-scale manufacturing. At the time, many of them were really focused in on uh, building it in-house. A lot of the, the, the facilities that we were looking at that were doing it in-house were uh, manual in nature in the sense that they weren't necessarily doing a, it wasn't an automated process. They were using pots and pens to create these gummies. Mm-hmm. And to us, when, when you bring in the manual uh, labor into it, um, it, it there, there's two downsides to it. One is the stability and the efficacy of the product just isn't there. Mm-hmm. And the second piece is that the cost is very high because you have human labor attached to it. We're also seeing in the market that um, gummies were, were being consistently sold out in the OCS, uh, Ontario Cannabis Store. 80% of gu- gummies were, sorry, 90% of gummies were sold out uh, in, in the early few months of, of being launched. Uh, a month after being launched, the number of SKUs went up by 150%. And they were still 80% sold out. So we saw an incredible amount of demand. The, the supply just wasn't didn't make sense to us. So we thought 
that there must be a company out there that's just laser focused on this category, mm-hmm. which is going to be call it thirty percent of the, the total uh, um, category um, within the cannabis sector in the future. And we found Dynaleo, and that, that's what they do. They're an automated facility based out of Edmonton. They work with a number of uh, small, medium, and large uh, cannabis companies in order to, to, to launch gummies. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they, uh, they've done a great job of creating a um, manufacturing facility that's focused on highly automated process. Okay. Now, unfortunately, Farmhouse has faced challenges. And in an article published in August 14th, you were quoted as saying, we continue to believe that it has potential to become a key component of the Canadian supply chain for low-cost, high-quality cannabis, especially as the value segment of dry flower becomes more prominent. Today, they are in a pursuit of a formal restructuring. Can you talk more about this and where you see Farmhouse in the next three to five years? Yeah. Um I, I do have to choose my words uh, carefully because we're, we're, we're going through the process right now. But the thesis around Farmhouse was that there are a number of growers all over Canada. And as we're seeing through the data set, customers are looking for uh, high quality cannabis mm-hmm. at a low price. And we call it the value segment. And they might not have the same terpene profiles or be described as well as the quality premium high premium high quality cannabis would be where you're paying a high price and you want to understand the look the smell the taste etc mm-hmm. but um but what what you do uh what we what you are looking for are companies that are looking for sorry customers are looking for something they can use every day at a low cost that's competitive with illicit market okay so Farmhouse is, uh, uh, has a 1.3 million square foot facility based out of Leamington. Mm-hmm. Their focus is on creating, uh, through their automated facility, low-cost, uh, low high-quality cannabis mm-hmm. for the cannabis sector out there. And uh, um, they, 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 they've done a great job on their first harvest and in, in coming out with 20% plus THC, uh, cultivated at very low cost. And I think that's where the future goes. Either you're, you're, the, you're the very best at creating quality cannabis or... You're, you're good at creating a, a, a lower-priced uh, product mm-hmm. uh, for a mass market. Uh, and if anybody, anywhere in between, it just doesn't work. So that's kind of the thesis around Farmers, and we're just playing that through right now. Okay, and so when you're assessing any company to invest in, how does Canopy Growth ultimately fit into Canopy River's investment process? Yeah, in a number of ways. Uh, there's areas where we, we, we do get help from Canopy Growth, whether that be through genetics or through distribution or through off-take agreements with uh, portfolio companies. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of it, we, we provide them with knowledge and expertise on what's happening within the space, which companies are being disruptive, where to invest their, uh, where, where to look in terms of where the puck is headed versus where the puck is at that point in time. And uh, and then down the road, hopefully we can become a, a, a true M&A feeder for, for Canopy Growth as it uh, starts to look back into into. Uh, doing more acquisitions. Okay, so as we continue the discussion on investing, regardless of the vehicle or asset, there's always risk, uncertainty. And as of recent, the world has dealt with a massive hurdle, which has impacted businesses across the globe. In your eyes, what are the impacts of the latest list of essential services has had on the cannabis industry as a whole? Yeah, I think it's a great question. If we go back to the beginning of COVID in March, uh, we didn't really know how that was going to play out. We knew anecdotally that cannabis is likely going to follow suit to alcohol, mm-hmm. uh, where it's countercyclical uh, in times that are bad. Uh, we, we, we see uh, that the amount of alcohol intake increase. 
but really hadn't seen how recession proof it was. It is a discretionary spend. Nobody needs to buy it. Um, so if, if, if you take away some of the, uh, the, the salaries and people, a lot of people, unfortunately lost a lot of jobs, how would that play into the cannabis sector? Uh, luckily, uh, it, it panned out. We saw a tremendous amount of growth in March, mm-hmm. uh, between February and March of 2020, we saw a 20% bump in the amount of sales in many parts of North America. And then, so then the idea was, Hey, maybe come, maybe people are pantry stuffing and they want to buy a bunch of cannabis ahead of time because they don't know with uncertainty what's going to happen in the future and how cultivation, extraction and processing packaging is going to be affected by the, the, this novel coronavirus that we didn't know anything about. Mm-hmm. Uh, fast forward to April, we saw that sales didn't actually go down. They went up and they kept going up and up and up. And even in July, we saw a 15.2% increase in retail sales. So what we've seen is that um, COVID has not slowed down the growth of the cannabis sector. And instead, it solidified it with people trying it when they're sitting at home instead of uh, waiting for that perfect moment. So we're seeing many more intenders uh, look look to become uh, consumers. And then we're seeing some rejectors start to look at becoming intenders as they, they start seeing their friends, colleagues, uh, family uh, use cannabis products. And when I say cannabis, I don't mean only the psychoactive uh, products. I mean the, 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 the hemp-based ones as well, or the CBD-based creams and topicals and and tinctures, etc. Okay, so something that you've mentioned in the past is that Canopy Rivers really focuses in investing in tomorrow, right? With that in mind, what do you believe that cannabis companies can do to help build balance sheet strength to respond to weather periods of economic uncertainties like the one that we faced today? Yeah, I mean, it, re- it really depends on the, what piece of the value chain that you're looking at. Uh, for for anybody that's consumer-facing, such as a brand or retail, um, my my advice would always be to be completely consumer obsessed mm-hmm. learn everything know everything about your customers where do they shop outside of that store do they go to starbucks or are they uh, a duck and donuts or tim orange type person um where, where do they shop outside of that where do they, how do they get to your store how do they hear about your store do they live in the area just really dive deep into understanding everything you can know about your consumer because like many other businesses out there in this day and age of digital uh, it's it's all about uh, data, and the more data you have in your consumer, the better you can tailor your products and your your services to cater towards the, those, those those customers that are out there. So we just really dive deep into that, and I think that's the biggest differentiator. When you look at retail stores, and I just got off a pitch about that, um, there there there's many out there, uh, and they do follow uh, typically what we call a dry cleaner model, which is People don't want to drive 20 miles to, to, to go to the nearest, to, to go to this certain cannabis dispensary that where they have exclusive products out there that they can't find at the one that's 100 feet away from them. Mm-hmm. They typically go to the one that's closest to them. And there's some people, I'm sure, smaller niche that will drive those 20 miles or 20 kilometers to get to that other location. But by and large, the, the, the majority of people will just stick around to what they do mm-hmm. or where they are. Uh, and they're just focused on that. So um, your, your location means everything when you're in retail. So we're just really, you have to take that next step and say, what can I do that's different than my competitors? And that's just understanding my consumer and just being crazy consumer obsessed. 
Okay, so when we look at the future of the cannabis industry, you know, a lot has been accomplished already to date, uh, but there's still an immense workload ahead of us. Where do you see the industry in the next two to five years? And what do you believe the main focus will be? Yes, great, another great question. Uh, you have many of them. We, we, uh, we, we, we created this thing called the wave theory, and it, it just takes how we see the sector playing out based off of the uh, again, 2,200 plus pitches that we've seen within the sector today. Initially, when the when the um, when, when the sector starts off, cultivation is the hottest part of the market because there's no supply. If you're one of the first uh, license holders, then there's a lot of value. If you're license holder number 250 or 300, there's less value. And we know that it takes about 18 to 24 months to set up a large scale cultivation facility. It takes about another 12 months to get through the the, the early learning curve of that facility and how to run it and how to create cannabis. Mm -hmm. So it just takes time. So if you're one of the first ones, that makes sense. If you're one of the last ones, it doesn't make that much sense. The next wave is ancillary, which we just got off of. Uh, this, these are the technology companies, uh, fertilizer, lighting, um, just, just the, the picks and shovels of the core cultivation industry extraction in there as well. Um, and these companies are about three times as large as uh, altogether in aggregate than what you find in cultivation. Mm -hmm. And they just really keep cultivation going. The third wave, which is what we're in right now, is consumer packaged goods, CPG. Mm -hmm. And this is where brands are really starting to resonate. More and more in media, you're learning about how uh, the consumers have brand affinity. They, have, they, have, they, have, they, they, they see brands. They know who they are. They, they're going back and purchasing the same brand over and over again because they like the experience that they've seen. It's a bit harder to do this in Canada because you don't get any marketing cues because there's so many restrictions. Mm -hmm. So you really have to uh, um, lean heavily on the butt tender and on trial and error for your consumer. Mm -hmm. The fourth wave is pharma. I believe that pharma is going to be the biggest piece of the entire sector. It just takes time to get through the clinical trials, mm -hmm. about five to 15 years, depending on if you're going orphan drug status or you're going the full-fledged path. Mm -hmm. And when we look at uh, pharma, We've seen, uh, we see over 400 clinical trials taking place all over the world at any given time. Mm -hmm. And we've also seen about 500 uh, patents being, uh, being secured by the largest multinational uh, pharmaceutical companies that, that you can find. And I mean the, the Mercs and the Sanofi Pasteur's and the Pfizer's of, of the world. Mm -hmm. And they believe in cannabis. They, they see how it might cannibalize the $20 billion of pharmaceutical sales in North America uh, but they just the, the science just hasn't caught up to the anecdotal evidence that we've seen, mm -hmm. and that's just going to take time to develop. Okay. And then the fifth wave, which is going to come in the future, is maturation, where uh, there's going to be three or four global companies that really uh, dictate how the entire industry is going to play out, similar to how you see Coke and Pepsi, mm -hmm. uh, and everyone else is going to fall below that, uh, fighting for for market share. Okay. So after chatting with you, Narbe, the one thing that is clear is that you've been working relentlessly to achieve a greater vision. For others following in similar footsteps listening today, what advice could you give to them? Just keep grinding. I mean, there's there's potential out there. There's money to be made out there. There's, uh, there's, there's, there's market share and growth. If this is something you have passion in and you always have to follow something that you have passion into, just keep working hard. Uh, meet people, talk to people learn as much as you can. Uh, there's going to be good days. There's going to be bad days. The industry itself is going through a, a form of a renaissance right now where, mm -hmm. where we're seeing uh, companies emerge that we've never seen. We're seeing companies die that we've been very accustomed to over a period of time. So uh, it's, 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 it's a very interesting uh, 
place to be. Uh, there's a ton of learning experience for anybody that's looking to get into the sector. Uh, and, and it's just uh, just fascinating to be in every day. Narbe, it was an absolute pleasure chatting with you on The Shake today. And if you're interested in learning more, I highly recommend hopping over to the Canopy Rivers website and exploring their page entitled The Deep End, packed with invaluable information and insights. Check it out at www.canopyrivers.com forward slash the hyphen deep hyphen end. But Narbe, before we let you go, we'd like to ask all of our guests one last and final question. And that is, is there a book? a past experience, or a piece of technology that has helped shape who you are today? Yeah, um, there, there's a book that I read uh, way back in my 20s, uh, and it's, it's always resonated with me. It was called The Defining Decade, and, and it went through uh, it, the, the clinical work of a clinical psychologist. And uh, um, little known to many people is that 20-something-year-olds are typically one of the least funded uh, psychology uh, cohorts uh, that, that we see today because um, they're they're typically healthy, they're typically mentally healthy and physically healthy. So there's not that much money that goes into it compared to an older generation or even younger children. Uh, so, but, but this is a psychologist who was really focused in on the, the sector itself, uh, and, and she kind of walked through many of the situations that 20-something-year-olds faced. And the big learning experience for that entire thing is this whole concept of the snowball effect, which really resonated with me when I read the book uh, when I was uh, 22. Um, and, uh, and and it's all about um, just seeing how over a period of time, like the success or um, results just don't come radically, they come incrementally. Mm-hmm. And you have to do small things and you have to, uh, and these small things start adding up and uh, the snowball becomes a boulder of, of, of snow as you keep rolling it. And it's the same concept there that you have to just keep showing up and keep working hard and over a period of time it starts adding up we want to give a huge thank you to narbe alexandrian for joining the shake podcast presented by treehouse solutions we also want to thank our loyal shake listeners for taking the time out of your day to listen to our podcast you can join the discussion or drop us a line at www.treehousesolutions.com and on Instagram at The Shake Podcast. Please also check out our parent Instagram at Trio Solutions. And if you're a huge sports fan and love cannabis or everything in between, we have you covered. Check out our latest channel at Sports Cannabis on Instagram. If you're on Twitter, follow us at THS underscore audio. Be sure to look out for our next episode when we chat with another industry-leading representative. We hope you enjoyed our session. Stay tuned for our next podcast.